0: Welcome back to the Rebuildable the Podcast for this special edition of Analyzing Acme. We're doing some episodes here that are going to look at some of the pivotal moments of the Arturus Karnashovas and Mark Eversley era. Yes, an era that's really only been eh, about four seasons long, but pretty impactful because there's been some notable moves that I think everybody in Bulls Nation has an opinion on. Uh, in today's episode, we are going to look at the Patrick. Williams pick. Yes, the drafting of Patrick Williams dating back to 2020. And if you remember that draft lottery, the Chicago Bulls, I think, were slated to pick seventh. And when the lottery ball bounced a certain way, the Bulls found themselves in the top four. So they vaulted into that portion of the draft. And then there was a lot of interesting speculation. I remember right after that, I did an episode. Uh, after the lottery with Michael Walton over at Bulls Confidential and uh, we were talking about different types of players and I don't even remember if Patrick Williams name came up I I don't think it did and it's just kind of funny because at that time we were talking about guys like Killian Hayes Tyrese Halliburton's name came up and I I stupidly made the Iowa State comment and said I'm, I'm afraid of that pick Tyrese Halliburton's really going on to have a pretty damn good career so I was definitely wrong on that one. Big names like James Wiseman came up and LaMelo Ball because nobody was really sure where he kind of fall in that draft that year. But I just remember a lot of speculation and Patrick Williams' name didn't really surface until a little bit later. So this was sort of an interesting pick made at the time. It was one that was focused a lot on potential and its potential we're still talking about even here in 2023. So four seasons later, we're kind of still waiting like, What is it that Patrick Williams can become? So joining me today, I have two guests to help discuss this, and they're both two guys I really respect. So let's bring our guests in for this discussion on the Patrick Williams draft pick. First, from NBC Sports Chicago, he's been a frequent guest on the Rebuildable podcast. One of my favorites, Tony Gill. Tony, how's it going?
1: Good, man. Thanks for having me back, man. I enjoy doing this. Uh You're one of the, uh I will say, better Bulls podcasters. Like You're, you're better than me, definitely. Thank you. That's not, Thank that's, you for having me on. That's not true. You're, don't say that. Come on. Oh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. Def- I, I, I would say, I mean, the, the Bulls podcasting space is excellent, man. Like, there's a lot of great creators in the Bulls space, and I enjoy listening to all of them. And mm-hmm. I'm like, man, I really step my game up. also
0: joining us today one of my favorite content creators and had him on right before i took a long hiatus and i felt bad about it because i I didn't get to have him on again but it's good to have you back on chris obidson from swish theory chris how's it going
2: doing well i'm glad to be back uh i hope your hiatus was worth it i'm not sure if it was long enough based on how these balls have been playing uh last couple years here but we'll see and i agree with tony you're definitely one of the better podcasters in a space with a lot of really great content creators and a lot of good analysis. So uh, hats off to you as usual.
0: The space is to me, one of the best when it comes to like the different Chicago sports teams. I I really think like the, the bulls podcasting space has some really thought provoking podcasts. And I think everybody's kind of got like a different flair. That's what I've always liked about it. You got all those really good daily podcasts, but then some other ones that really kind of do more deep dive analysis. So it's definitely a, a good variety. And like, you know, Chris, you're doing some great stuff, you and Larry and what you guys are doing there at Swish Theory is fantastic. So wanted to bring you both on and talk about Patrick Williams because to me, when I think of pivotal moments in the Acme era, and it's only been four seasons, but four really interesting roller coaster packed seasons. This is probably, I think, one of the biggest decisions that they made that's been put under a microscope. And if you kind of go back in time to that draft lottery in 2020, uh, if you recall, the Bulls were projected yet again to get the number seven pick. It would have been their fourth straight year with the number seven pick had that actually hit. And what happened was the lottery ball bounced and they ended up into the top four. They were the first team called in that final four, so they ended up with the fourth pick. And um, I remember doing a podcast that night, kind of breaking down some stuff I did with Michael Walton at Bulls Confidential. And we were going through all the different draft scenarios or potential players. And I don't think Patrick Williams' name came up in that podcast. Like, he was not somebody that was on my radar, on Michael's radar. So I want to go back at that moment the Draft Lottery 2020. And I want to just get an honest answer. And it, it, I usually don't ask yes or no questions, but I'm just curious. Tony, did Patrick Williams cross your mind at all?
1: No, I barely knew who he was. This is being perfectly honest. When I was at the uh, the Advocate Center, um, and when they mentioned that they're going to draft Patrick Williams, uh starting going around the room. Everybody is scrambling to find out who is this, right? What is it, What are his measurables? Like, what did he do? What college did he go to? Um, it was a scramble really for everybody. And to see it live of uh, people not having that on their radar whatsoever um, was exciting, but also interesting that nobody had this um, scheduled or thought about as a even a possibility when they thought about the top at least three uh, or four guys that the Bulls were would take at four. He was not mentioned anywhere close to it.
2: I want to say a week before the draft. No, I really didn't know who he was. I mean, we were looking at guys like Killian Hayes, Denny Avdia, Anyeka mm-hmm. Kongwu. Maybe we, like maybe Lamella Ball would fall to four. That was kind of the hope. But mm-hmm. I remember listening to um, the Bulls Talk podcast maybe two days, three days before the draft. Mm-hmm. And the first person that had it was Casey Johnson. And He says, "Hey, I just got a name to throw out. Just you know, just something I heard. Patrick Williams." And I remember when I heard that podcast, I was like, "Who?" <laughs> and I had to go <laughs> do some research. So I had before draft night a couple of days to to kind of figure out who he was. But hearing that name for the first time was kind of shocking to me, for sure.
0: It's interesting that you brought up Casey because, like, I, I was trying to go back in time to look at when the rumbling started. That was the first article, like like the earliest timestamp I saw was something that Casey wrote kind of going through like different types of players. So it's interesting. And I guess, hey, shout out to Bulls talk, huh, Tony, because like it's one of the benefits of having Casey there. Sometimes yeah. you get that insight for sure. <laughs> so kind of looking at that moment when they had the number four pick. So let's go back like right before the Patrick Williams speculation happens. I'll start with you on this, Chris, who were some of the names that were on your radar at that moment?
2: I think for me, I had seen the biggest need throughout the rebuild was someone who could set up teammates, um, a a real creator. And so I was look, I was really looking hard at Killian Hayes and, and LaMelo ball. And also Tyrese Halliburton was another guy that was on my radar. And it was funny because there'd been kind of a long running joke, um, that the Bulls like to draft players or bring in players from Iowa State or their connections through Iowa State. And I thought it would really be funny if this is the first time where they didn't draft a guy from Iowa State where they should have. And that was just kind of a floating thought in my mind that kind of just went away. Um, and I thought, well, maybe they won't because, you know, it's they don't really have a connection um, to them this time. It was kind of more of a GARPACS thing. But it turned out that that may, have been, <laughs> that may have been more true than I'd realized at the time. I was that person too, unfortunately,
0: who who made that comment. Actually, on that episode on Lottery Night, I said, ah, keep the Iowa State guy away from me, and I'm eating so much damn crow right now. Big mistake. Tony, what about you? When Around that time, what were you kind of thinking about what to do with that number four pick?
1: I thought I was all point guards and Obi topping. <laughs> that, that was the, the the conversation that I was having. So I'm I'm thinking, hey, if people don't like Lamelo, maybe he'll fall. Um, Tyrese Halliburton, right after that, uh, Jason Goff was really on him and put me on uh, Tyrese early on. I'm like, okay, he's a point guard option. If he if you know Lamelo's not there, you know go get Tyrese Halliburton. You you need that was the big thing they had didn't have a point guard uh, of the truest sense that can set everybody up. Um, you know, I know Tyrese Maxey wasn't, you know, on you know people's top ten you know boards, but guards from Kentucky tend to do well in the NBA. So I thought he deserved uh, some consideration if you're looking for a point guard. So I was all point guard out because they that's what they needed, right? You had your you know your shooter in 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 Zach Levine, right? You had kind of uh, a combo situation at that time and Kobe White you needed a setup guy and the Bulls didn't have one I thought this was a perfect time to grab one you're near you're you have a top five pick Just go take one of them right in, in a draft where everybody was skeptical of everybody right um nobody was a hundred percent sure on Anthony Edwards I loved Anthony Edwards but I understood teams were kind of like uh you know and then you had the James Wiseman situation and then you had like the ball like there were so many questions about that draft um, I would I would have taken one of those point guards and just kind of ran with it. Also, Killian Hayes, obviously, uh, was an option. So I was thinking all point guards. And if you weren't thinking point guard, take the old dude in OB Toppin. At least he can be plug and play because he is a grown man.
0: I remember being really obsessed with Killian Hayes just on the, the physical traits alone. I remember really thinking like, oh, that would be a that would be a cool prospect to look at at the time. But I'm going to. Circle back here to Tyrese Halliburton before I get your thoughts just on the actual Patrick Williams pick. We have the benefit of hindsight right now, seeing how his career come into fruition and him now being all-star caliber point guard in this league. If that was the pick in 2020, how good do you think this core would have been? And And would the core look slightly different right now because... There's a continued youth movement. Like, what do you think would have happened if that had been the pick? I'll start with Chris, and then we'll we'll go to you, Tony.
2: Yeah, it's tough to say because at the time that they made the pick, Patrick Williams, and we'll get more into him later. But I just wanted them to take a big swing. You know, as Tony was saying, like point guard made a lot of sense for the team's needs, but I just wanted them to take a big swing at a star. And I, I recall some of the knocks on Tyrese at the time in the draft was number one is defense, which I think everyone admits is still a pretty big issue today. Um, and so putting him next to Zach Levine, you're know, like, man, that, that may be untenable defensively. Like, I'm not sure if that's going to work. And you got Kobe too. Um, and so I, I could understand some of the doubt there. And the other thing was that Tyrese was a creative passer and a good shooter, but his form was kind of unorthodox and he was very much a perimeter player. He he wouldn't get to the basket very often, and so, I think people kind of had some doubts as to whether or not he would be able to to have enough on ball gravity as a creator to really set up his teammates in the way that would maximize his his creativity, which he clearly had right the creativity of the shooting was there, but there were some of the questions around there obviously he's he's blossomed into a player, but I think it comes back to for most players, it's about fit and opportunity, and you know will would Tyrese, who got drafted by the Kings. Would he be the players today if he hadn't gotten traded to the Pacers? I don't know. Would he have done as well in the Bulls system next to Zach Levine? I don't know. Like you can clearly see that he has talent, but but the realization of that potential is another question, and that depends on a lot of factors that are often outside the player's control, and it, it has a lot to do with you know the players that are there, the organization, the the development coaches, the right coaches the right fit um and players around them. So the long answer short is I don't know. I, I, I would like to imagine that he would have worked out and that we would have had uh, hopefully like a superstar budding at this point. Um but you know that the front office evaluated the team for you know the first four months of that season and then completely pivoted. So who knows if they would have done the same thing with with Tyrese uh in, in wing in our wings instead of Patrick. You know, it's really hard to say how they would have evaluated that differently.
1: I mean, looking back on it now, I like to assess those things. Okay, what am I getting at minimum? Uh, because essentially you're kind of getting that with Patrick Williams, if you think about it. But at minimum, what could he pro- what could have he provided? Um, and when I think of Tyrese Halliburton, at least you will have leadership and a confident uh leader at that position, uh, and a willing pastor that knows how to you know, get a post-entry in. (laughs) I mean, the Bulls don't have that either, you know, on a consistent enough basis. Um, And I think that wildly improves the roster. Um, All the things that Lonzo, outside of obviously Lonzo's defense, um, you saw what he can do to help out the offense. Uh, And and as we can see now, if if we're including the hindsight, Billy can coach up a defense. Um, the problem is the offense and the functionality of the offense and the efficiency of the offense. um, When all of his players are available, I think Tyrese fixes that at least in some part where this feels a lot better. It moves a lot better. um, If he has, if he is at the helm of your team. Um, And I, I think that with that confidence in the person that's running the offense, I think it boosts everybody else. Uh, there, um, I agree with Chris. You can't, you know, be 100 sh- percent certain. Um, you look at the development style and pace uh, of this of this team and of this group. You never know, <laughs> you know, right? Like it could have gone the other way, right? Where you know he doesn't develop into you know a, a better shooter at the league level because that was a huge concern. Could he get it shot off? Like he was a good shooter at you know Iowa State, but the question was, could, will he be able to get it off? Uh, in the NBA, and obviously he, you know, has adjusted, worked on his game, and and added to that. Uh, but I think at minimum you're stable at the point guard position. I think he was going to be an NBA starter regardless of how the top end happens. Um, but at least you have that figured out, and then you can move on to other pieces around the team uh, that needed to be tweaked or adjusted.
0: In terms of the actual pick itself for Patrick Williams. When that actually went down, you, you kind of talked about a little bit, Tony, like your experience being at the Advocate Center when it happened. Um, so I'm going to start with you. I, I know you just answered this question, but I'm going to start with you on this one. What was your initial thought at that pick? Was it good? Was it bad? Were you kind of thinking, okay, this, this is an interesting experiment. Like what, what was on your mind when that was the pick that was made for the Chicago Bulls that night?
1: Um, I think at the time we were still learning about this group. We had guard packs for so long. We understand the thought process. We understood what they liked in drafting a, a potential prospect. Um, but this, we were still learning what they liked. And that was the first signal into what they liked, right? They liked physical tools. Um, a, a person that is long, um, that uh, can play multiple or defend multiple positions. Um, figuring that we can teach the skill work. We can't teach athleticism. We can't teach um, physical gifts. Uh, and that was a, a, a key into, you know, Patrick Williams, because um, he has all those, right? Big hands, big shoulders, uh, really solid base, um, long, like all the, the physical gifts you w- want in an NBA uh, player um so i i tried to think about it i'm like okay you know this team still need at four i was looking for like chris mentioned a big swing um a, a person that okay you this is this, this is the long haul guy this is the guy that you want to build around um and i gave him the benefit of the doubt like everybody should right you know nobody assumes that you know anybody's bad at any job or anything but uh when they first Made the pick, I'm like, okay, he, he came off the bench. That that didn't look good to me either. Um, if you have the number four, number four pick, you want a guy that's used to the spotlight, that's used to the intention that he's about to get being the a top five pick in the NBA draft. Uh, and a guy coming off the bench with his personality type, I was a little bit eerie, like will he be able to handle what's going to come his way in this city? Who's looking for a superstar superstar. And I know we had Zach Levine, but you know, he's an all-star. He's an all-star player. He's a very, very good player, but not like the guy. So the Bulls fans were looking for that. Uh, and I had concerns that Patrick couldn't feel that role just because of his college, only one year of college. You came off the bench. Like, you know, it, questions were being had just about could he handle being a franchise player.
2: Yeah, I, I agree. It's um, there were reasons to be concerned about the pick at the time. He had a lot of the physical tools, like Tony said. the The leadership that Tyrese Halliburton has shown was was a question with Patrick, and it it still is a question because he's kind of more of a passive, team first kind of guy, um, and. You know, I think, there's some, I think there's some value in finding an archetype like Patrick Williams, you know, at least at the time in theory. And I think we've seen um, a lot of development in certain areas of that, but a, a big, a big wing who can defend, who can shoot, um, you know, who can, who can do some rim protection. It's a valuable archetype. And he had some, he had some on ball skills, at least earlier in his career. And he played in a system where he was a team player. So I think there was some upside there, but you know when you're picking in a draft, there's always a low chance that they're going to be a star, even even you know at pick number four. And I think fans were just so ready for the star to be drafted uh, because of what we'd seen with Kobe and Wendell and Lowry that they've seemed like decent guys, role players, but not the guy. And Zach, same thing, great great player, but not the guy. Like I think Chicago was so hungry for that that it put the expectations on Patrick Williams even more, I think than than those previous iterations. And so as we've seen, the criticisms have been kind of equally, um, you know, more damning at times than, than for those other guys, because the expectations were, were super high. And for me, I just thought, okay, he's a project. He's not ready to contribute day one in the NBA. So to me, I thought, all right, this front office is going to be patient. They're going to, they're going to bring in Billy. They're going to develop these guys, develop, you know, all four of these picks and we're going to have some time. And obviously that hasn't happened. Um, and I think that's contributed to some of the development or lack of development we've seen in Patrick. But at the time I thought, okay, it's a big swing. It's a low, you know, it's a it's high, high upside, but also kind of a low floor potentially if he doesn't get these skills to really hit. So, and, it's, and we're still kind of in, in the same boat in a lot of ways, uh, even today. I remember in that first season, I don't know if it was Stacey King that
0: lumped it on him, kind of using the Kawhi Leonard type comparisons. Um, and I remember that happening a lot on on Bull's Twitter and and just thinking like that's a really lofty expectation for you know a guy that was that that young, that raw, and picked that high. The benefit that Kawhi Leonard had was he got to go into a situation to a winning team and kind of get that time to bake very slowly. You think it didn't really click for him until a few seasons, but he, I think, had the, the benefit of being a lower pick on a winning organization. And propping Pat Williams up to be that kind of guy, like,
1: quickly, I think, was a, a lot. Um, and it was a demeanor comparison, yeah, right? Everybody it, was like, oh, he's quiet. quiet, quiet, so they're going to be the same guy. And I was like, it's a different type of quiet. Quiet is yes. scary quiet. That's a guy you don't want to mess with quiet. You know, it's different. He's 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 an assassin, but he's just not vocal, you know, with his. And I think that was a part of the comparison, you know, as well as the physical gifts. It was mm-hmm. we were kind of doing the same demeanor type of comparison with Patrick and, and Kawhi. And it
2: didn't help that Patrick's favorite player growing up was Kawhi. And he tried to model his game after him. It just kind of fed into that same narrative. Yeah. It, and,
0: it, and kind of like similar, similar body types. Like it, it just seemed like everything was kind of playing into that and. It just it was unfortunate, like it happened. It seems so early, but I think it goes to the point that that you made, Tony. I think at that point, like we wanted something greater. We wanted superstar level talent to start coming on the roster. And as you, you know, you said, Chris, you had the all right bunch, right? The number seven bunch. We had Kobe and Wendell and Laurie, and it's okay. Now what is there something that's just a, a step above that? So. When we kind of got a, a look at at Patrick Williams early on, and I know it's kind of hard to go back. Going back to that 2020-2021 that season, it was a very odd, kind of like COVID-shortened season. You know, it started out as like a, a quick evaluation and then pivoted so fast at the trade deadline that year um, in terms of the philosophy. But was there something early on that caught your attention from Patrick Williams that was a good thing or a bad thing in terms of what you thought he could be going forward and I'll start with with you on this one Chris and then we'll go to Tony
2: I think I remember at the time he was playing the three uh, most of the time with Lowry at the four but there were occasions where he would be able to show off his weak side rim protection and that was something that I thought was really intriguing to me because he just seemed to have a knack and timing and the athleticism to get up there and he had I think it was a monster block on Ayton or Giannis I, I can't remember who it was or, or if it was even that first year but there were some of those early flashes there. And there were a lot of flashes that were concerning at the same time. Um And we'll just, let's just be honest here. Patrick was not a good NBA player his first year, like at all. He was theoretical only. And, you know, he could see he had a nice shot, but it was a slow release. And you could see that he had the size and the NBA body, but he didn't have the processing speed and the, and, and the timing on defense to really be impactful as a defender. So, I think it went mostly as I thought which is is the guy who's the youngest american born player in the draft he was you know uh, off the bench so i expected him to be pretty bad his first year and he kind of met my expectations there uh, so i mean for yeah for the first year i thought hey there's some things here there's some little flashes but this guy needs time this guy needs time to develop no question about it
1: i think chris's assessment was correct and you saw the defensive capabilities um, if a guy can you know nail down in the timing of a weak side block, right? Understanding when to leave his guy to go help out, uh, that's something that's extremely valuable at the NBA level. Considering that guys get blown by all the time, um, so if you have somebody, especially right, at least the thought was Laurie was going to stay here. Um, you needed somebody on, on, that can be able to handle that weak side that defense. Um, and able to rebound and in possessions you know on defense and you saw that uh with his athleticism there um but that that was about it um i was a bit underwhelmed uh by him as a as a rebounder right like little stuff like rebounding is 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 anybody can rebound it's just do you want to do it and and do you want to be aggressive enough i was disappointed by that Um, offense is hard to grasp at the NBA level if you're trying to learn it, (laughs) you know, if it's not part of your everyday life as a player growing up. Um, but if you have the physical gifts, I can give you some leeway on that, um, the first year. So I wasn't, you know, killing them on, you know, the, the scoring output, either your score or you're not, um, but can you at least get, get to the basket, you know, eventually. So I, I was willing to wait on the offensive game to, to kind of develop, uh, but there was some definitely defensively that you know made you think of Kawhi Leonard uh, in, in some spaces uh, with either a block or his ability to you know guard multiple positions. Um, so there was definitely some hype around what he could provide for this team uh, defensively.
0: I do want to get into a couple of questions. Where we're we're going to get into some nuance into how we've gotten to this point with Patrick Williams, but I, I just want to get a snap grade from both of you if you had a grade patrick williams as of today what would be a a letter grade you'd give him and i'll start with you chris and then we'll go to tony
2: yeah that's a that's uh, funny i've never been asked that question before i never really thought about it before but it, it kind of depends um if you're viewing him and you're grading him as a potential star i, I think you're gonna get a d minus you know Um, it's, it's always a low, it's always a low chance, but I think there's been some things that have contributed to it as well, but clearly he has not been put in a position to be a star. And he also hasn't really kind of taken the reins of it himself. If you're talking about as a role player, as a kind of a three and D guy, I think he's actually developed pretty nicely. I'd probably give it like a C plus at this point. Um, because he's, he's shown a lot defensively, especially last year and early this year. I think he's really, really shown a whole lot defensively. Um, but the offense still has, you know, still, still is taking some time. And as Tony mentioned, the rebounding, um, and just kind of the, the energy level has been inconsistent in places. So I, that's probably what the grades I would give with those caveats. guess.
1: this is, (laughs) um, I think it truly, truly depends on what your expectation level is. Uh, I think Chris is absolutely right. Um being a top five pick. And again, you, he didn't draft himself. Um, So it's not on him. Uh, The situation that he was in where uh, you had Zach Levine and, you know, kind of Laurie marketing, kind of figuring out if they wanted to be, you know, the offensive leaders. So he kind of got lost in the shuffle there. You ship Laurie out, you draft. I mean, you trade for Vooch. That's even less touches. And then you add DeMar and Lonzo. That's even, even less touches um, so the situation didn't help him if you were trying to do it. It, it. But, you know, it's interesting. It seemed like they were trying to do it off the court, like telling him, like you had plenty of, uh, when I was covering Thad Young constantly telling him, hey man, you can do this. Like you're out here for a reason. They drafted you for a reason. And multiple people in the organization, multiple players in the organization um, having to tell him, hey, you're better than what you're doing right now. And you're better... Um than what you think you are but after a while if you don't start believing it yourself everybody else can't help you with that that's 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 a you thing so if i had to do it based on the if i'm comparing it from the people in this draft obviously i think i think it's a d uh, from his draft class if I'm comparing it to, can he be a contributor to a you know a winning effort, uh, a, a playoff run, a championship run? C minus. Um, just because sometimes I still sometimes forget he's out on the court uh, for stretches. Like I, I truly forget. Other than this kind of this recent stretch of the last two. You know, three games. I forget he's out there still. This is what third year, fourth year. Um, I'm not supposed to be doing that with with the top four pick. I'm not supposed to forget Patrick Williams is. Oh, there's Patrick. Um, oh, he grabbed the rebound. How many does he have? Two. So, <laughs> um, if I had to do that, if I do an overall one, I would probably say a C minus.
0: You want to get to a grade actually when we end this discussion on acmes. Decision there, So I, I kind of want to come back to that a little bit because you, you both kind of, you know, talked about that higher expectation level. The one thing that I want to throw out here, and it kind of came up as as you guys were answering, if Patrick Williams, and this is not an apples to apples comparison at all. This is like a sports bar in Chicago kind of comp that I'm making here. But if he became a type of a role player like a Luol Deng. How would we feel about that with somebody like Patrick Williams? So kind of like that fringe all-star level player like Luol Deng was. And I'll I'll start with with you, Chris, and then I'll, we'll go to Tony. But would that salvage maybe some of Pat's worth or value amongst
2: Bulls Nation? I don't know. With Chicago fans, it's it's hard. We we have high expectations uh, and low patience in general. Um, I think if he became Luol Alding, who, who was an all-star at one point, I think that would be a really, really solid outcome. Um, regardless of his draft position, I think that's, that's a really good player. It's a valuable player. Tony said, like, hey, can you contribute on a winning team, on a, on a championship-level team? I do think Patrick can get there. Just on the defense and the shooting alone, uh, I think he can be a really, really valuable player for a long time in this league. So to me, that wouldn't be like a massive disappointment. The reason it's a disappointment is not because of what Patrick is or isn't doing. it. I think it's because of all the situation that's around it that's contributed to it. Um, But, you know, in general, if you draft a project like Pat and he turns out to be, you know, even a one time all star, I think that's a really good outcome for that. You know, it's not what you wanted, but, uh, you know, I think he's a good and valuable player. The problem is we're still searching for that superstar player that, that we haven't gotten yet. And we've gone through an entire rebuild and not really, not really found him yet. And so that that's a disappointment more than Patrick himself. I think it's just kind of the line of, of picks that have become good players, great players, but not the player.
1: If he becomes a wall dang, I mean, that's, that's, that's a gold mine right there. Um, I had to look up uh, just to remind myself, Lou stats. I mean, Man, Patrick's got to do a lot. So for a career right now, Patrick is at 9.5 points, 4.2 rebounds, 1.3 assists. Uh, Lou, for a career, and I get it, Patrick's just getting started, but he's got 14.8 points, 6.1 rebounds, 2.3 assists. Like, that is a major, major jump. (laughs) From what Patrick is, is able to do right now uh, lose also two time all-star, right? Like if we can scratch one with, with Patrick, I think that's, that's a win um, that makes that makes the pick, you know, suffice. And then uh, we're going to we maybe get to this later with, in terms of Acme, right? Like, I think that saves the pick, uh, honestly, but if he's Lou all day, I am shocked. Something must've happened. Um, I don't know who talked to him or, you know, maybe he has some type of you know come to Jesus moment, but if he has a Luol Deng career for the Bulls, where people, even if right the the conversation at the height of Luol Deng is, do you trade it for Kobe? Right, <laughs> that was essentially the, the the missing piece to the trade that would have gotten Kobe. Is the Bulls letting go of Luol Deng if he's in that conversation to be able to be traded for a a one star? That I, I think that's a success with Patrick Williams, but he certainly has a long way to go. But we're talking, Luol Deng, that's a Bulls legend right
0: there. It's true. It, you know, it's one that I've heard, because I, I saw a tweet actually about how it took Luol Deng a while to finally get get going. But you really look back at it, like Luol Deng kind of came in at least, even not at his like highest potential, I think, still provide a lot of value. Like he was, I think right off the bat, a pretty solid two-way player.
1: The minute he at walked 21. in. At yeah, twenty-one his third year in the league. He's averaging eighteen point eight points a game. Yeah,
0: and, like, and oh. I think I think some people forget about it because of that baby Bulls to Derrick Rose transition was so fast. But he he was he was pretty damn good his time with the Bulls. Um, I do want to get into the actual infrastructure because we kind of talked a little bit about how the situation changed in the middle of that rookie season for Patrick Williams, where. There was this early evaluation, a younger core, and then the script flips pretty fast come the trade deadline in 2021 with the Vooch trade. And that kind of opens the floodgates for things to change. And I want to ask you guys this. There's a lot that goes into, I think, the development of a player. And I think we're, we're learning that with the Chicago Bulls, especially that player development matters. And when player development isn't fully invested in, in an organizational level, I think, and, and if it's not filtering into the coaching staff, it can cause problems with trying to build up a, a younger core of even complementary pieces. And I'm just curious what what you guys think. And we'll start with Tony and then go to, to Chris on this one. How much blame do you put on Acme, Billy, organizational philosophy for the development of Patrick Williams to this point? And you know, how much blame do you put on, on him? Because I think that it's probably a combination, but just curious how you look at
1: that. It's definitely a combination. Um, If I had to do the bulk of it, if I was doing a pie chart, I think the bulk of it goes to Acme. Um, They drafted him. Uh, And I think, you know, a little bit goes to Billy. I think he gets the least of the blame because I think Billy has tried uh, everything that he can with Patrick. Um... You know, out well. I take that back. Enforcing uh, a, a play style um, and not kind of how, not hindering the expansiveness of what you could do, in development because you're trying to appease your better players um, is something that I think Billy has you know never done in his professional career. Um, and to expect expect him to do that now, I think, is a reach. Um, he tried it, right, by benching Zach. That was a bold move that he had never attempted to do before ever. And he got his hand slapped, uh, and he never went back to that type of coaching again. And I thought that was to his detriment um, in terms of growing a culture and growing a winning culture. So um, I think the majority of the blame goes to uh, – how quickly that they tried to build this team together. Um, Patrick needed the development. Chris mentioned it earlier, right? He was, a, he was raw material. He needed the time and the personal uh, investment to grow. And I get it, right? You had this thing of Zach Levine, right? What do, you, what do I do with it, right? He's this excellent score, all-star type player. Do we trade it away or do we try and build with it and, and win now? And obviously Zach was uh, uh, in, not impatient, but he felt like he has waited long enough he, he was tired of the rebuilding uh, time in his career, and he wanted to win, but you just drafted this asset. Like, you, you, you can't forget him. And, and I think in their haste, and I don't know if it was haste, but in their aggressiveness, I should say, uh, to try and be a, a, a contender, you forgot about your 19-year-old. Um, and if you know him, you're who knows him better than the Bulls organization, right? Um you know his personality you know that he needs the all the attention we saw it for one game right that that final game of that uh, of the playoff year uh against minnesota right where all the attention from the organ was on him hey this is all on you do what you got to do and he went out and you know he scored some points uh but if he isn't able to do that consistently because there's too many things hindering that growth that is on the, the, the executives who put him in that position. Um, and then obviously it's, it's up to Patrick. What player do you want to be at this level? Um, if he doesn't have that killer instinct, right? We mentioned the, the demeanor mentality between him and, and Kawhi Leonard. Kawhi is a beast prime. Kawhi Leonard, was not going to be denied and I feel like Patrick is okay with hey you want to bring me off the bench that's cool you want to start me that's cool no when Anthony Edwards was told by Team USA we would like you to come off the bench he said for who right like you need that mentality at the pro level if you want to uh, attain, attain greatness and I don't think that's in him I don't think I think he wants to contribute I think he's an excellent team player but you can't be a leader by not turning. You got to turn your back out to the, to the rest of the crowd if you want to lead. Um, otherwise you're just kind of in the group. And I don't think Patrick has that uh, in him to be that. So I think majority of it is management. Uh, the next level is, is Patrick. And then a little bit of that goes to Billy.
2: I'm going to agree with Tony here uh, on, on kind of the divvying up of, of that. Um, I, I would say almost nothing's on Billy because, Listen, Billy is an NBA coach. His job is to try and win games and put his team in position to win games. So there's no way that Billy's going to be like, hey, hey, DeMar, hey, Zach, we're going to take the ball out of your hands. We're going to put it in Patrick's hands and let him run 20 pick and rolls a game because it's best for Patrick's development. But what's best for Patrick's development is not what's always best for the Bulls' development and and the Bulls' winning games. and, And clearly that was their goal. The, the criticism of Acme for me with the with the Pat pick was at the time it made sense based on the current team's position. You draft a guy who needs development. Hey, we're in a development situation. You get a, a, a coach and Billy who's really great at maximizing his player strengths and finding combinations that work. Uh, that's always been you know sometimes to his detriment, as Tony mentioned, that he's almost too accommodating in some ways. But it was a good situation. They they hired more development staff. Like it was a situation where it was like, hey, Pat can. Pat can take his time and in two, three, four years, we can find out what this guy's got, but they didn't do that. And so, and you've seen this pattern with Acme, not with just with Pat, but with drafting Dalen Terry and with drafting Julian Phillips. These are guys that need serious development in their games to be contributors. Now you could have drafted a guy like Christian Brown, or you could have drafted a guy like, um, like Jaime Hawkins Jr. In in Miami this year, like ready-made players. If you wanted to win now, you should have had that in mind at the time. So either either the, either Acme's, um, Acme's plan completely changed or they made a pick based on a, a plan that wasn't going to work for Patrick. Like if you wanted a contributing player now, you shouldn't draft Patrick Williams. That's just the bottom line. You can't do that. If The, the value of Patrick Williams comes in the development and they skipped that part. They skipped the steps right after they told us they weren't going to skip steps. And they did that. And so it's been to Patrick's detriment as a number four pick. I do think he's still been put in position to succeed as a role player. And that's where his, his development or the blame goes on to him, which is, are you taking it full advantage of the opportunities that are given to you? They may not be all the opportunities that you want, but are you, do you have that high, high level hustle, the rebounding, the screen setting? Like, are you active on, on offense? Are you learning on defense? And I think he's done some things really well. I think defensively he's taken leaps and bounds for where he was his first year into You know, he was he was the best isolation defender by the numbers last year in the league, um, which I don't think he's the best isolation defender in the league, but he had really good production on that end. And then right now he's he's a career high in steel and block rate, and he's at 90th percentile basically in both of those for his position. So we've seen the development. We've seen him double his three point rate and still maintain a 40 percent, you know, uh, efficiency. But those other things haven't come along in at the at the rate that we've wanted them to because the team's trying to win now. And I think that is where Acme and Pat kind of share that
1: blame there. You guys remember the, the summer league where they put them in all types of pick and roll and ball yeah. handling abilities. Oh, and yeah. We were like, oh, yeah, this is the plan. And we got none of that since none of that. <laughs> none of that. I was like, then what, what was the point? What was the point? You put him in this position because of his development. You say you need yeah. to play summer league. We're going to put you in these positions so you can learn, so you can bring that back to the main team. And he got none of those chances and none of those opportunities. It was kind of like, well, again, what was the point of drafting him if you're not going to be able to use all the stuff that you thought you can get out of him? Yeah,
2: And it's not like Patrick is working the off season with DeMar DeRozan to be a role player. It's like, he's doing that because he wants to be that guy. And he hasn't been put in position. Like he gets what, like one to three pick and roll reps a game this season for basically the first time. And we see that his handle is still a little loose and he's, he's, you know, dribbling off his left foot and stuff. Yeah, of course he is. Like he hasn't done this before. <laughs> like he should have been doing this from year one or year two. Now he missed almost all of year two. So that kind of, that kind of hurts. So really, this is his, the beginning of his third year of actual development for a team that for most of that, time has wanted him to be wanted to pigeonhole him into a role that he was not suited for and not developed for so you know like it, i understand fans frustration and i know tony you had a, a tweet like a month ago where, like are we all out on pat here like what's going on with this and, and i'm like well i understand why people would be out on pat but a lot of it has been out of his control and just the one of the worst situations for him to be the number four pick um like if we give him a chance like we, we, we wouldn't be in this position where it's his fourth year in the league and we're like, well, should we keep him? Should we trade him? I don't know. Like, You don't know what you have still in a lot of ways. And, and that's that's the most frustrating part for me is you've seen the ability that Acme had to put him in position to, to know more about him and they just they haven't done it. They've prioritized wins, which hasn't resulted in wins and continuity over this development. I do want to get to a question kind
0: of looking to the future a little later because it seems like we're hitting a pivotal point in the team right now where there could be potential floodgates opening for movement and that could of course impact some of this potential development so i want to get into that a little bit later but i want to ask you guys a question again just one more hindsight question Well this this whole episode has been a hindsight episode i guess so you know, why not ask another one of these this is a question i'm going to ask on another episode that focuses on the trading of pieces from the young core so larry uh, wendell pivoting the plan in this episode i want to look at this really through the lens of patrick williams if they kept everything as is at the 2021 deadline and only added lonzo ball and maybe like some high-end role players that summer how differently do you think patrick's game would look right now and i'll start with tony we'll go to chris
1: well it puts their money where their mouth is right that's actually putting this player in position like, look, there's no help coming. You're the help, right? There's nobody going to take these shots away from you. In order for us to win, you need to produce. Uh, and I and I feel like when he's put in those positions, as rare as they come, either due to injury or where at the end of the season, where it's just him and Kobe, I feel like he's kind of stepped up when given the chance. Um, it's just those chances are just so limited for him due to how they built this roster. um, I think this team does. I think he looks a lot differently. I think you feel more confident in keeping him or resigning him. He may not be an all-star, but you feel a little bit better, right? I mean, you look at, if I had to do the comparison game, Jeremy Grant, right? Like, it took him a little bit. Then he became an all-star, like, out of nowhere. Like, stuff like that can happen. Um, and if i have to model his game after that maybe it's a better shooting Jer- jeremy grant um and i think that's all-star level that he can be that a low-tier all-star but i think that could be a potential all-star level player uh but again that would have taken using your your foresight and your thought of saying okay year two let's let's do this and obviously he got hurt but Going into that year three, man, like this, this is all on you, man. This is you and Zach and Kobe. You guys are going to figure it out and we're going to add to where we can, or in that case, Lonzo, uh, Lonzo Ball, like it's you guys. Do something with it. We believe in you and we're going to show you with uh, the amount of effort and uh, not trying to replace you or not trying to replace your, like, you know, adding a Tori Craig, right? To potentially take your, you know, position no this is all on you patrick and i think the bulls are come out better if they're willing to just wait and and, and take that risk on a player that they took number four overall
2: yeah i couldn't agree more with, with tony here on this one it's it's i think it looks differently and i i think back to kobe being put as the starting point guard in that 2020 season and everyone's like well he's not a point guard he's a shooting guard and to me it was like okay but these reps are going to be important even if he doesn't become that guy, him learning how to create offense, create for his teammates, get better at ball handling and decision-making is going to make his career better regardless of what his position is going forward. And I think for Pat, it's like it doesn't mean putting the ball in his hands every night and developing him that way doesn't mean that you think he's going to become Kawhi Leonard. But if he's a role player that become, you know, like Jerry Grant where he can take that leap, it's because he's had those skills and he's developed those skills and he feels comfortable being put in positions, even if it's just, you know, three or four times a game that he can produce in those situations because he's had the reps he's been allowed to play through his mistakes. And I think Patrick has not been allowed to play through his mistakes in a lot of ways. Now he's gotten a lot of minutes. He's gotten a lot of minutes and opportunity on the court, but it's what are you doing with those minutes? That's going to be important to your development. And mostly it's been take threes and play defense. And that's kind of all he's done. And he's become legitimately pretty good at both of those things. But I just want to see him like, let's expand the skills that he's allowed to to, to practice on the court. And I think if we had taken the route that, that you described, Matt, um, I think we would see a more diverse skill set at this point. Even if he does not become that that guy, he's going to become a better overall player. And, you know, it's easy to look back at it now. I think I remember at the time people were really questioning whether or not we should we should do this move. And I know a lot of people were excited about the boots trade. Uh, because people were tired of losing. Um, but, you know, th- we, I absolutely think it it would have been different for Patrick and his development uh, at, at minimum if we had taken that different path.
0: So I got one last question before I ask you guys for the uh, grade from Acme on this move. Given that the Bulls are in this kind of pivotal moment where we could see changes to the roster being made pretty soon. We're recording this. Here in early December, what do you think could happen if, indeed, some of these veterans like Zach Levine, Demar Rosen, at some point are gone? Do you think that that could spark something in Patrick Williams? And and what do you need to see from him to think he could reach his full potential? I'll start with you, Tony, and then we'll go to Chris.
1: Man, that'll be some major hustling backwards. It's like, now you want to do it, you know, when he's in a contract year, like you could, and I was going to piggyback on, on Chris's point that he just made, even if he doesn't become that guy, at least, you know, right. Like, isn't the worst thing, not knowing. Yeah. Um, it's the worst. It's the, it, you don't, what can you do with, I don't know. or I don't know yet. You have four years, you have four years to know. Um, and if and if he was a superstar, right? And he's seen how you operated, right? You, you're only guaranteed seven seven years, right, with a superstar, because every every one of those guys they take that first super max that they're able to get if they're the star player, right? But after that, not only did they you assess them as a player, you gave you gave them you know whatever that big extension is, but they've also assessed you as an organization. Are you going to help me get to where I am? Um, but for Patrick, that it, it to do that now and say, hey, we're we're trading Zach, we're trading Caruso, we're trading Damar, it's all you now and we believe in you now, I, I think it's kind of too late. You should have found that out earlier. And the, the the situation that they find themselves in is they're scared because uh of what Lard became, right? He became an all star type player. He became what we thought he could have been here. Uh, but it was never going to work here. It was never going to be like that here. And if Patrick does churn himself into something, it's hard to see that happening here just because all the baggage and all the things that, you know, they're, that they're doing here to kind of, one, it, it discourage him, right? <laughs> um, they brought in a replacement. They have put him on the bench. Like all the different stuff that they've done with him, um. That that kind of I I don't think pushed for development in all areas of his game, um, so I wouldn't agree with the move at that point. I mean, if 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 it takes now, if you trade him before the trade deadline, if it takes the next three months to figure out if you want to keep him or not, I would say something's wrong with the organization that you can't properly assess your number four drafted you know pick and your first pick. Right, that 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 you made as an executive, um, I think there's a big problem there. If you're trying to put him in position to see what he can do now,
2: Tony hit it, hit it right on the head here. the 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 damning part is that you don't know what you have, and they this is the same mistake that Garpacks made with Kobe Wendell and Lowry because they put in a terrible coach in Jim Boylan. They didn't have a single they had one single person in player development. They just did not put them in positions to succeed, and so you you were left with undeveloped, uh, unrealized potential at the time you need to make a contract decision on these guys. And so Lowry gets shipped out, Wendell gets shipped out. Now, luckily, Kobe had a little bit more time. You brought in some good people, you got a good coach, and now we see the fruits of that development. You know, bearing fruit. The terrible analogy I just made, but um, that's the problem with with Patrick is is they've kind of redone this where. We should have known years ago, if you're, if you're unsure in year four, whether or not you want to keep the guy, I think that's, that is a a, a sign that management and development has not done its job because you should know something. And with Patrick, there's so much that's still kind of up in the air. I think that's, that, that's almost entirely on, on the front office. And I wrote an article about this uh, a few weeks ago on Switch Theory about kind of how the bulls got here and the principles of successful organizations that they have just have not followed at all. And I think to Tony's point, um, it is kind of silly. It is hustling backwards a little bit to be like, all right, now we're going to do this now that it's been too late, now that it's too late, but I just need to see them. You know, the question I ask myself is, can Kobe, can Pat, can Io be contributing players on the next good Bulls team? And if they can, then I say, keep them, invest in them. And I think they did the right thing with Io and Kobe, bringing them back on these, what look like value deals. If they can bring back, uh, Patrick Williams, I know people make a $200 million joke all the time, which is never true. Um, but if they can bring him back on a decent deal, I think you got to do it because now, now's the time, even if he doesn't become the star, invest in his development from now on, get these guys out of the way and become, have him be, become part of the next good Bulls team. Even if he's not the guy, you need to start doing the right things. You got to follow the right process and let the results take care of themselves instead of just issuing the process and being like well the results aren't here so we're just going to skip these steps and just kind of try try and jump our to the front of the line here which clearly we all knew the moment it happened wasn't going to work and it hasn't worked and this is why we're in the situation we are now and and I think the young guys as usual are the people that have suffered the most as a result all right well i'm going to ask you guys to give me that final grade
0: I know I've been, I've been kicking a lot of them to, to Tony first, and I, I want to do it again for this question because, Tony, you had mentioned when you were grading just Patrick overall, you kind of mentioned just the pick in general if you're kind of looking at it from uh, Acme standpoint, like Acme making that pick as a D. For analyzing Acme, is that the grade you're giving them for that pick? Is it a D?
1: Yeah, yeah, considering you, you, you look at what you could have had at, at that draft. Um, and I know Tyrese Halliburton is the guy, right? That we we go to, but um, I mean, you got Tyrese Maxey, you got other players in this draft. If I can just kind of go back and look at it, I mean, uh, let's see here, Desmond Baines, another one, Desmond Baines, Uh, Onyeka Okongwu, I like him as a player. Um, and again, this is all. Super duper hindsight, obviously. But for the value at that position, I would I would say it's a miss because you don't know when when it's extension time. You miss because you don't know. If they fleshed it out, I would have been like, Hey, you know, people miss. Is he a contributing player? Can he, you know, get him at a low low enough number uh to be a contributing player on your next good team? Um, and again, we would have gave him crap for missing on the pick, but I think it's worse now is because you don't even know, um, if, if you you put him in those positions that you could have done something with them. So, um, I think, I think it is a D just because you could have drafted your point guard, the one, the one position of need at that time that you absolutely needed. Uh, and you took a swing on raw materials. So, you know, I think Patrick is going, is an NBA player. He is a double digit year NBA player, um, either here or elsewhere around the league. He's going to he's an NBA player. Um, is he a difference maker NBA player, even from the role player position? I've just have, I haven't seen that yet, that he can be even a difference at the role playing position. Um, If he's not going to be one of your pillars. Um, So I I have to give it a, give it a deep just because like there there's so many questions uh, and I haven't seen enough of, can he contribute to consistent winning and be a factor in that locker room? I I haven't seen it.
2: Yeah. I'll, uh, I'll agree with Tony again. We're spitting, I guess, on this podcast here, but um, I think, most of my issue with the pick is not the pick itself, but what's happened since the pick. Um, I think that's where the, the real failure has been. And I think it's been a miss as far as, hey, you thought you were drafting your franchise player. That hasn't happened and you haven't developed him. You haven't treated him like you wanted him to be a franchise player up to this point. So I think it is a miss in that sense. Now, I don't think Patrick Williams is a bust. As Tony said, I think he's going to be a productive player in the league for a decade. Um, you know, It's just, have we stunted his development? because of what's happened here. And, I, and I'm really tired. And Tony's completely right when you say this, Tony, that it may not work out here. It's just not going to work out here. There's too much baggage. I'm so tired of every young player having that baggage and this not being the place where they can thrive. Why can't we make Chicago the place where people can come and develop and play their best basketball? That's the real frustration. And it's the failing of the front office where we shouldn't keep having these conversations because... Of their last four first round picks of Patrick, Kobe, Wendell, and Lowry, all four of them, fans have called for them to be traded at some point in their first couple of years. Like, get this guy out of here! I'm sick of him. He's not doing this. He's not meeting expectations. Are, do we just draft four players that were mediocre, or have the Bulls played a serious part in in their failure or their or that miss? I think I think the latter is true, and I would really like that to change. And and so, you know, because I would love to talk about man, I can't believe we got Tyrese Maxey at 21 and developed him into a, a superstar player. I would like, when do we get another Jimmy Butler type outcome or when do we just get like a great outcome where it's like, Hey, we like this guy. We want to resign him after four years. He's going to be contributing here for a long time without all the angst and the frustration that comes with it. So I'm tired of Chicago not being the place where, where young guys can thrive. We've got to change that first, man. I'm, I'm in agreement with you guys on this. And,
0: uh, you know, that what you're saying there, like, it, it also made me think of even Dalen Terry and thinking of these young, raw athletic pieces that need this kind of development, this kind of nurturing. And the fact that it really took, what, a, a few years before we really started talking about a player development overhaul in the organization. I mean, God bless Peter Patton, but I'm I'm sure there's even more that has to be done. I think there's a common denominator um, I make it very clear on this podcast. I, I actually think it sits above Acme that always seems to rear its ugly head because there's another team in town that has this issue, if you didn't know that.
1: But it is wild that, you know, another, like, the Dalen Terry thing, is like he can't stay mm-hmm. on the roster. Yeah. Like, he's a first-round pick. Like, I get he's, you know, in, in the teams, with the, but he's a first-round pick. Like, he can't contribute in anything? Nothing can give you one minute of meaningful basketball on your roster. And that's your first round pick. And this is year two. Like, what's what's going on? It's, it's very frustrating.
0: Yeah. And we're going to have an episode where we go into a little more of the pivoting of the plan. And I wish I was like a fly on the wall at that moment when they decided, you know what? We need to start making moves to add veterans to this roster. I, I kind of want to know like what caused that to happen so fast fast like was it so much impatience from acme or was it impatience from the guys sitting above them
1: michael and jerry exactly we will never know but if i'm taking this job and i'm trying to get you back to prominence i'm not listening to you right like in the interview like the bulls aren't in a position, and i get it is only one of 30 jobs but look at what your organization has been you're not just interviewing me I'm coming from uh, a healthy organization. I'm interviewing you. So if there are stipulations on this job, I don't want it. What for? For what? For who? Right? Like, yes, you get the key to, you know, bring back the Bulls, but under what? I got to turn this team around in in a year? Like, especially after their intro press conference of being the development guys. Like, I was all on board on on, on this management group because they were, hey, we're going to take our time and develop. They flipped the roster in a, in a half a year. It was mm. extremely disappointing when that started to happen. I'm like, you didn't even try. You didn't even try with the, with the materials that were here.
0: Ah. It is frustrating. Okay. And looking at it in the lens that we did today through Patrick Williams, it's really frustrating when you start looking at it like that and and it's definitely one of those moments the the drafting of Patrick Williams and and everything that resulted after that it, it the ripple effect is definitely something that we could talk about for hours and hours and hours and probably have multiple podcasts just on this pick alone and all the different ripple effects. So appreciate you both for coming on to talk about this. Real quick, I want to make sure people know where to find all of your good content, so Start with you, Chris. Um, if you can tell us where people could find your work, and then Tony, if if you can then share after Chris.
2: Yeah, so you can follow me on Twitter. I'm at kla hoops. Um, my friend and I, my friend Laro Golden, who's who's a coach, a Chicago guy, just a wonderful person. If you don't know him, a brilliant basketball mind. So I'm there just to just to be the stool that he sits on uh, on a on our weekly Bulls podcast. Um, but we we have that through Swiss Theory. And, um, I, I try and write articles to try and, um, do, you know, deep dive analyses we're talking about the the different types. Mine is a type that will never make money. No one ever going to come pay me money, uh, for, for that type of analysis. I don't yell enough. Uh, I don't scream enough. I don't have the hottest of takes. So that's why I do it for free. Switch theory is just free. It's a bunch of contributors who just like basketball. So, but I will shout out all of my, uh, all the people at switch theory, just incredible group. Um, people who really just love basketball and are really bright bright minds and so I I highly recommend checking out their work and uh, that's where you can find me yep
1: so um, as of right now I am on parental leave so uh, you won't hear me back at NBC uh, until early February so that's when I'll be back on Bulls Talk and uh, contributing over there Uh, but right now I am currently back at the ringer with uh, Jason Goff in the full go podcast so please check that out um also the f- next week uh, on the day that we're recording this i'll be back with uh, my guys jason leisure and russell dorsey at the sports Adjacent podcast so nice. um so you can catch me there uh if you want to hear my opinions on things uh and you can follow me on twitter at the tony hill
0: well i definitely appreciate both your guys' time and and everything you guys do to bring great content to bulls nation i tony you've been a, a great guest for years on this podcast uh Chris love your work at switch theory so switch theory real quick how that's been up for about a year now where are
2: we at yeah we started last October yep so just over a year year and a half just now. over a year it's and it's
0: it's been great stuff and we might actually hopefully still kind of working things out might have Laura on for one of these so that's a little bit of a tease of, of one of the ones yeah. he might pop on he's well worth your time for sure- mm-hmm. he's a great guy to talk with. Gentlemen, it's been a pleasure, and we'll hopefully see you guys soon. Uh, You can catch all the latest episodes of the Rebuildable podcast on all the major streaming services, Apple, Stitcher, Spotify, wherever you stream podcasts. I think, I don't know, is, is TuneIn still around? You probably could find it there if you wanted to. You also can get all the latest episodes on X, Twitter, whatever you want to call it these days. It's at Rebuild underscore A underscore Bowl. It's where all the latest episodes drop, but you also can get my thoughts at mgenteel88. And I'll usually tweet about the Bulls and maybe some other Chicago sports stuff. Uh, Unfortunately for some of you, you'll get probably plenty of Bears thoughts too. But I'm there dropping all the different Bulls takes as well. We'll be back with one of these uh, next episodes of Analyzing Acme, where we'll break down a, a few other pivotal moments that... Artur Skarnashovast and Mark Eversley have had over their last four years. So please tune in next time. and Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening to the Rebuildable Podcast. Be sure to check us out and subscribe on Spotify, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or wherever else you stream your podcasts.